the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may have a seat on all of our campuses. And good morning to everybody. How you feeling? That's not rhetorical. How you doing this morning? Everybody doing well? I want to give a shout out to Chris and our Powdersville campus. And you're going to get a chance through this series to hear from many of our folks that are serving and to our Wonderway volunteers. My son uh, just moved up from Wonderway 4 today. He turned 2 yesterday. And so he has made the big leap out of Wonderway, and, uh, and we're excited and grateful for all of our Kids Spring volunteers. Hey, if you got your scriptures, I want to invite you to open them up to the book of Nehemiah. We just read Nehemiah chapter 1. If you've got the New Spring app, I've got these notes already preloaded there for you, so there's some blanks today, and there's some points today, and there's some places for you to take notes. I hope you'll take advantage of that, and while you're doing that, I want to uh, bring all of our attention to a really cool date today, June the 6th is the six-year anniversary of our Aiken campus. So they're celebrating a birthday in Aiken. So can we put our hands together and celebrate along with them uh, this morning? So Matt Steelman and team, we're pumped for y'all. Now, this is crazy. These are only the stories that only happen when God gets involved. But six years ago, uh, there was uh, the first Kid Spring person checked in in Aiken. All right, you, you with me so far? All right, uh, Kid Spring checked in in Aiken today. That very first Kid Spring kid six years ago that checked in in Aiken on the way to church this morning prayed to receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. <laughs> Happened today. Is that not incredible? So uh, that's why we do church. That's why we build the churches so that the next generation and so that people hear the good news of Jesus. And so we're cheering you guys on down there in Aiken and pumped about God uh, and what he's doing there and excited again all over the state. Um, so here's what I want to do today. Uh, the, there's a couple of themes in Nehemiah if you are writing down themes. And I think these themes are important for us on a couple of different fronts. But the book of Nehemiah, um, you can't find it in the Hebrew text. If you go back to the original scripture, you will not find the book of Nehemiah. Did you know that? You will actually only find the book of Ezra and Nehemiah. They go together. And now in the English text, we pull them apart because there's the book of Ezra and there's the book of Nehemiah. But Ezra and Nehemiah is the story of God's people after 141 years of exile. So God's people were removed from Jerusalem, from Judea by King Nebuchadnezzar. You remember this story, right? He comes in and he, he crushes God's people and removes them. And they go and live in exile and they live through the, the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, the reign of Cyrus, the reign of Artaxerxes. And, and so the story of Nehemiah is a story of restoration and rebuilding and leadership that occurs, and here's what you're gonna get a taste of over the next several weeks, is in the book of Nehemiah, Nehemiah and his crew of leaders, people of God, do in 52 days what hadn't been done in 141 years. I'm gonna say that again. In 52 days, Nehemiah and all of God's people are able to restore and rebuild specifically the wall of Jerusalem in 52 days, what had not been done in 150, or excuse me, 141 years. So I want to put that before you because this is a story, of course, in the Old Testament, but it's also the story of what's, I believe, pertinent to our world today. We have seen our world disrupted and we've seen our world distracted 
and we've seen a lot of the things that we have all gone through over the last several, uh, last couple of months, this have caused a lot of tearing down. There's a lot of rubble in the earth, if you will. And what you and I recognize is there's a lot of people right now talking about restoration, talking about rebuilding, talking about the ideas of reforming and getting life back to normal. But I just want to put before you, we're not going to go back to normal. We're going to go forward to a new normal. And so this series is a series, and we've never done one of these at New Spring, about leadership. And I want you to know that leaders are the difference maker between 141 years of rubble and 52 days of something glorious. The difference in that is God-ordained leadership. And I just want to say out loud at the outset of this, I get pumped about leadership. It's one of my favorite things in the world because I believe leadership is the difference maker in homes. Leadership is the difference maker in our workplaces. And leadership is definitely the difference maker in the church. Can I get an amen from somebody this morning? And so we're going to talk over the next several weeks, by the way. The time span that we have this series is about the same time span it took for Nehemiah and his team to get accomplished this great work, 52 days, just short of two months, okay? And they were able to get it done, and we're going to cover it over the next seven weeks. Um, if you've got your notes and you want to write these things down, the very first thing that I'm going to do, I'm going to share four keys that Nehemiah shows us in chapter one that are going to allow for you and I to begin to partner with God in, I believe, the restoration and the reformation that we are a part of today. Now, um, another reason I'm excited about this happening in the months of June and July is I want you to look around your campus right now. We'll give you permission. Look behind you, look in front of you, look up in the balcony. If you're up in the balcony, wave to those the folks that are down here. We saw, we, we saw you sneak in late. It's okay. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just, just kidding. I'm just kidding. Some of y'all prefer up there. Okay. Um, what you see at New Spring Church today in the month of June and the month of July, these are the people that if New Spring Church felt led by God to build a church on Mars and partner with Elon Musk, these are the people that would give to it, pray for it, and some of you are crazy enough, you'd even go and help build the church on Mars. And that's who's here in the church in June and July. You are the most bought in, you are the locker room of New Spring Church. You know about the locker room, right? The locker room is not the fans in the stands. The Christian fans in the stands, they come on Christmas and Easter. God love them. That in you. You're the, you're the players on the field. You're the men and women that get it done. You're the people that over the last couple of months while coronavirus is going on, you're the kind of people that said, we're not just going to give the old amount. We're going to give a new amount because we're going to make sure that the church comes through strong in this time of difficulty. And I just want to tell you, I love you, that our church is grateful for you. Just this last week, we got a chance as a lead team to get together with our board of trustees, and we got to celebrate what God has done in a very difficult time at New Spring Church, and, and I wasn't planning on saying this, but I just would love to tell you this, this morning at the first service, your church has come through strong, and that's because of men and women like you who have said, I'm not going to let the church go away during the coronavirus difficulty. You've, you've served, you've shown up, you've given. Many of you have said you're gonna give more and your church is doing phenomenally well. And I just want you to know we appreciate that so very much. This is the locker room of New Spring Church. Yeah, we can give the Lord a hand for that. So the tone in the locker room is a little bit different. 
And so my tone's gonna be a little bit different. Our teaching team's tone's gonna be a little bit different. Next week, you're gonna get a chance to hear from your campus pastor specifically, and their tone's gonna be a little bit different. I know y'all love your campus pastors. Come on, let's say thank God for our campus pastors one time. So make sure you're here next week to hear from your campus pastor. But, but here's what we're doing. I want you to know, we believe that there is gonna be a massive, again, a massive returning and reformation and restoration of the church in the months to come, specifically next fall. People are coming back to church. People are leaning back into the things of God. People are seeing that they need the things of God in their family. And so what we wanna do is we wanna make sure as the people of God that we are prepared to receive them, okay? So that's what this tone is gonna feel like and it's gonna feel like you're in the locker room. If you're okay with a little locker room talk, say amen. Amen. So point number one today in our locker room talk that Nehemiah had that I want to make sure that you and I have so that we might be able to be leaders in the restoration and reformation today. Point number one is that Nehemiah found his kingdom passion. Nehemiah found his kingdom passion. Now, I love talking about passion. Every once in a while, I get accused of being a passionate individual. Um, I, I, I really, really do. But I wanted to say out loud, Nehemiah found his kingdom passion. Let's look at it in the text. It says in verse three and four, right there at the beginning, you heard Chris read it, but it says in verse three, it says, and they said to me, the remnant there in the providence who has survived the exile is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down. Its gates are destroyed in fire. Look at verse four. As soon as I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I continued fasting and praying before the God of heaven. You see, Nehemiah was in the city of Susa, hundreds of miles away, but he heard about his homeland, and he heard about what was happening there and how it was just nothing but rubble and burned in fire, and it hit a chord with him that caused him to go to a space of deep weeping, deep mourning. It wasn't just he was up in his fields for a moment. It says he was up in his fields for days. Now, can I look you in the eye and ask you a question? When was the last time something hit you in your heart so strongly that you wept? that it caused you to cry, that it caused you to maybe lose your appetite. Have you ever had a moment like that? Where, where something hits you so deeply, it, 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 it stirred you so passionately, it caused a zeal, it caused a, a, a holy discontent, a righteous indignation to well up in you and you couldn't sleep for some, some nights, you couldn't eat, you, you, you found yourself in deep, deep, spaces of emotion, something guttural, something visceral. Nehemiah found that. And I believe our world is in need of men and women to find their kingdom passion again. Our world does not need any more apathy. Our world doesn't need any people just going through the motions of life. There's a truth, I think Mark Twain was the first one that said it. He said, there's two monster dates in your life, the day you were born and the day you realize why you were born. We're hoping over the next seven weeks, many of you would realize why you were born. That there is a deep, guttural, visceral thing that God wants to put in your heart that he's, he looked over the expanse of time and he said, 2021 is where she needs to live because that's where she's gonna make the greatest difference for my kingdom. Have you ever thought about that? 
that God could look and put you and place you at any moment in human history, but he did not choose 1137. He did not choose 1632. He chose 2021 and he did it on purpose. And he wants you and I to wake up to a great passion in our hearts and to stir it and to feel it. And I just want to say out loud, passion is not a personality type. Passion is not reserved for extroverts. Passion is not reserved for young people. A lot of people think that passion is only for the youth. It's only for the college age. It's only for the, the, the idealistic who haven't lived enough life to, to, to be skeptical and jaded and calloused. I just wanna reject that on its face. Passion is not for young people. Passion is not for extroverts. Passion is for Christians. People that have been born again into a new family, looking forward to a new kingdom, anticipating their Lord coming back or going one day to be with him. And God has a work for us to get done right here on earth. And we don't need any more apathetic Christians sitting on the sidelines with their arms crossed, talking about and critiquing what's wrong and broken in the earth. We need people that are ready to get in the game that say, I'm ready. Let my hands get dirty. Let me get a little dirt under my fingernails, a little sweat on my brow. I'm passionate talking about this today. And I'm sorry, I can't help it, but I just think our world needs some people to wake up that God's got passion for you. And the passion is not for professional Christians. It's not for just the pastors. As a matter of fact, I think there's more pastors that need a little bit more passion in their sermons, amen, so that you're not falling asleep on a Sunday morning. I think there's, there's more passion that needs to be instituted in the church. And I want you to know that God has a plan for that for you. And you need to know that Nehemiah found his passion and it made a huge and significant difference. Now, as soon as I say that, some of you are pumped up because you live by your feelings. Like your mom and dad are like, oh my gosh, all the time they're here, they're there. Everything is in extremes. But listen, feelings and passion are different. I'm not talking about just letting your feelings drive all the time. I'm not talking about road rage, that's a feeling. I'm, I'm talking about a passion that exists for days. Now, what has to happen, watch this, is Nehemiah has this passion harnessed. So one of the things he does is he finds his kingdom passion. The second thing, very simple, is it says that Nehemiah prayed. Nehemiah prayed. Now, I know we say that, and prayer is one of these things that in the earth, I think especially in our Christian context in America, we can think that prayer is just, you know, it's kind of something we do at the end or maybe something we do in a 911 moment. But I want you to know this church believes that prayer needs to be our first response, not our last resort. I want you to know that prayer in the scripture, the, the primary Christian saint, Christ follower, the primary thing in the scriptures that defines a Christ follower is not what they do, but rather what they ask. We'll say that again real slow. The scriptures tell us that long before we do anything as Christ followers, that our job is to knock, to seek, and to ask. Because this is going to help us make sure we're not living by our feelings. And we're just responding by feelings. And we're just emotional all the time. And we're responding and acting out of that. Nehemiah got a deep kingdom passion. But the Bible says that Nehemiah prayed. As a matter of fact, verses four, five, six, all the way to the end of the chapter is just one sampling of his prayer. Um, if you want to look at this, the timestamp, it said that we were in the month, listen, that when he, when he found out this news, we were in the month of Shizlev. 
If you look in your Bible, if you've got a hard text in front of you and you look at chapter two, verse one, it says, now in the month of Nisan. Now that doesn't mean anything to us, but basically it's the difference in now in the month of November, then in the month of April. So for four and a half months, this man took his kingdom passion and he didn't go anywhere with it. He took it to the Lord in prayer and fasting that it might be refined to make sure that this wasn't just his human emotion. This was a, a kingdom passion. We need more of that in the earth. We need people that are passionate to go and pray with God before they go to their keyboard and start just banging on it. We need more of us to get passionate about something that happened in the earth and start to pray with God before we go and scream at the people that disagree with our politics. I'm, I'm trying to show you something. This is in the scripture because your passion is important, but, but your passion that is not ultimately purified by the Lord and his ways and his kingdom will ultimately leave a whole bunch of hurting people. And this is what's wrong with our earth right now. I don't think, by the way, in the last 16 months that the issue was apathy by and large. The issue that our world felt that caused you anger and heartburn potentially over the last couple of months was passions that did not get purified by King Jesus. And so here's what happened with Nehemiah. He took that deep, that deep passion, that zeal, that visceral guttural thing and he took it before the Lord and he asked and he prayed and he fasted and he, he wept and he acknowledged some things in his heart but then the third thing he does and this is super important, it says that Nehemiah, he took that passion and he submitted it to God's purpose. Let me show it to you in the text. It's right there in his prayer. Um, we'll, we'll see this actually at the uh, verses 10 and 11. Look, he's praying and it says, He's praying, he's talking to the Lord. He says, now they are your servants and your people whom you, God, have redeemed by your great power and your strong hand. Look at verse 11. O Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of your servant and to the prayer of your servants, right here, who delight to fear your name. Another copy of the text translates that same word fear as who delight to revere your name name and give success to your servant today and grant him mercy in the sight of this man. And then he talks about being cupbearer to the king. We'll get to that in a minute. But first, I want to just say this. Passion is incredible. It is so important. And there are infinite passions in the, in the world. Infinite. And that's not bad. Now, the problem is if you're a passionate person and then you recognize somebody else in your school or in your job or in your family or on Facebook is a passionate person. What we feel right now is people screaming at each other, yelling at each other because my passions one, two, and three don't line up with your passions one, two, and three. And we have a fight over passion priority. I know that's a lot of peas, but are you with me? If you're with me, say yes. People are yelling at each other because your number one passion and the, her number one passion aren't the same. And I'm gonna show you how to get this problem solved because the, the job, listen, the job of the Holy Spirit in Christians is not that your number one passion and his number one passion are the same. The Lord wants there to be different passions 
based on your lived experience, based on your upbringing, based on the things that you've seen, based on the things that he's allowed you to, to see and witness as, as a man growing up in Charleston or as a woman growing up in Columbia, based on your family dynamic, your unique passions are unique to you and they do not need to be the same. God's not building robots, but watch what he does. We have infinite passions, but all of our passions as followers of Jesus, watch this, must be submitted to the one universal purpose of God. This is so key. If your passion is not submitted to the purpose of God, the Bible has a word for that, an unsubmitted passion. You know what it is? The Bible stops calling it a passion. The Bible starts calling that idolatry. Watch this. I'm not going to pick on anybody, but here's, here, I just want to show you how this works. There are, listen, there are so many passionate people in the world, but they don't have them all submitted to the glory of God. And so they, they go out and they try to promote their passion, promote their passion. But here's the deal. That's not going to do any good for the name of Jesus Christ. You might be a, if you're a small business owner, for, for instance, you've probably got a passion for whatever it is you do. Okay, maybe you're a, you own a boutique or maybe, maybe, maybe you, whatever, you, you own your, your deal and you're passionate about it, but if your passion isn't submitted to the purpose of God, then your passion will ultimately become an idol in your life and your bottom line will be your personal bottom line. It'll all be about money. It'll be a passion unsubmitted to the kingdom purpose of God and you will give yourself to that, you'll sacrifice for that, but ultimately in the end, the Bible calls that wood, hay, and stubble. It, it doesn't make an eternal difference. If you want to get on board with something transcendent, something that'll be lasting, something that'll be enduring, you've gotta make sure that your passion is submitted to one kingdom purpose. Now, I'm a little bit of a history nerd, so I'm gonna get historic for a moment. In, in human history, we've seen multiple moments of this. In Christendom, we've seen multiple moments of this. One of the primary moments we saw this was in the 1500s in, in what's known as the Reformation. Now, what the Reformation was, what, was God's people got passionate about the word of God. God's people got passionate about people knowing uh, how, how the, the, the world needed to work in terms of the word of God. But one of the things that people realized is that folks got excited about all that they were passionate about. And so the church fathers started introducing something called the catechisms or the teachings. And one of the primary, probably the most known catechism is simply the chief end of man. It's from the Greater Westminster Catechism. And, and essentially what, what they wanted to do is they wanted to put on paper what was the one singular purpose of humanity. Young and old, doesn't matter what nation you're born in, you say you're, you're, you're following the Lord, here is the chief end of man. Do you know what it was? It was to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. That is your job description as a follower of Christ. And so, Take your passion for whatever, for, for design, for fashion, for, for politics, for, for teaching, for coaching, for, for, for being a missionary. Take your passion and submit it to the glory of God and your enjoyment forever, and you will be doing exactly what God has called you to do. This is kingdom alignment. Nehemiah had it, and I want you to have it. I want you to have kingdom alignment. And so Nehemiah had this incredible passion he prayed and he purified it. He submitted it to the purpose of God. And then the Bible says that he walked out in incredible authority and power. 
Write that down if you don't mind. He, he, he walked out and received kingdom power. That's why 141 years, something that hadn't been done in 141 years, happened in 52 days. Now, if you're 35 or younger, I want you to really lock eyes with me right here. Look at me. I'm so excited about all of the great, the great um, energy I feel in the earth right now to see and, and build change. I'm so excited about it. But you've got to understand something. Some, uh, some, of the, some of the wiser, older generation understands this, okay? You cannot move in authority if you are not first under authority, okay? Nehemiah moved out in kingdom authority, but he first, first had to get under authority. And now he got under Artaxerxes' authority. That's, that's the king. But he, more than getting under Artaxerxes' authority, he got under the king of kings' authority. I'm gonna say something really simple, and it's not the first time it's been said, but it is so true. Every great leader first must become a great follower. Every world-class leader has to first become a world-class follower. And if you want to make a difference in the earth and not just live by your feelings and then respond, you've got to take your passion, purify it in prayer, Submit it to the purpose of God, and then you will see over and over and over again that you can move in real kingdom authority. And so Nehemiah, who was cupbearer to the king, that's just the chief of staff. His job was to make sure nobody was poisoning the king. So if Nehemiah had a good day at work, he got to live. If Nehemiah had a bad day at work, he was dead, right? So he was the last guy, but that role was actually chief of staff. So it was a highly valuable administrative role. And Nehemiah was cupbearer to the king and he got the authority of Artaxerxes, the wealth of the kingdom and all kinds of, of ability to go back and do some things in the earth. And this is, I wanna just make sure you catch this. This is the way Christians are called to lead change in the earth. Your job and mine is to not just simply show up and between our ears affirm the truths of Scripture. The truths of Scripture that we talk about and read about and preach about and sing about are meant to change our minds, but then to make their way to our hearts to ultimately make their way to our hands. I know this is so simple, but this is the way I teach my kids. We just simply say, head, heart, hands. Would you say it with me? Head, heart, hands. Hands. Some of you are already doing it. Would you point to them? One more time. Head, heart, hands. That's the way that a life-giving church marked by the presence of God activates to impact others. God changes, gives them the mind of Christ, head. It changes their heart and it puts their emotions and their passions and their feelings into the proper place. And then they walk out and they use their hands to make a difference. Head, heart, hands. This is exactly why I'm excited about a date that all of you will know. Um, and we're gonna celebrate here in a couple of weeks at our church. Um, how many of you know the date? July 4th, 1776. Show of hands. July 4th, 1776, right? What is that date? It's the date of the Declaration of Independence. Now, um, what happened on that day? Well, there was a group of men that were looking to 
cast vision to the future and, and reform the future. Now, this is so important because this is, this is gonna help you out. They're casting vision towards the future. They're building a visionary and enduring country. But what did they do? Did they only talk about the future? No, they reached back to some timeless truths, namely the scriptures, and they said, we can see from the scriptures that there is significance to humanity and that every single man and woman, no matter what their creed, no matter what their ethnicity, no matter where they come from, every single man and woman have what they would call inalienable rights from God. So listen, they built the future with a transcendent fixed point of reference from the past. This is the way of visionary leadership. Let me just put a button in this and before I go on, I'm gonna say this. There'll be lots of people in the days ahead, in politics, in pop culture, in spaces of sales and music and fashion, listen to me, they'll, they'll promise a future, they'll promise a vision of the future, and that's easy. They just, all you have to do to promise a good vision of the future is you have to point out somebody's frustration right here and now, promise them that your product or your idea or your thing will give them a better future, and people jump and spend money. That is not visionary leadership. You know what that's called? Marketing. Sales. You just touch on somebody's pain point and frustration, promise them that your product can change that, your, your political ideals can change that, your, your spiritual ideals can change that. That's just called marketing and sales. 35 and younger, listen to me. The world is full of that kind of thing right now. Reject it, reject it, reject it. Do not give in to that. What you need to find is not just someone who promises a better future, but it's someone who takes a capital T, transcendent truth from the past and then brings it to bear on the future. You with me? This is what those men did in July 4th, 1776. They reached back to the scriptures and they said, there's some inalienable rights and we're gonna declare them on behalf of this nation that we all get to worship in today, by the way, freely. Have you seen some of our brothers and sisters right now trying to worship around the world? They can't but we get to worship freely because we have inalienable rights declared. Now, let me ask something. This is not a trick question. Did, did men and women in America get to enjoy their freedom on July 4th, 1776, yes or no? No, it was just their declared independence. What did they have to do after they declared it? They had to fight for it. That's why those men, namely John Hancock, wrote his name so big. He didn't want anybody to guess whether or not he was willing to give his life for it. John Hancock, I declare that we have inalienable rights by God to fight for freedom and I'm willing to sacrifice for it and watch me by blood, sweat and tears build a future that is better because God has promised it. And they fought a revolutionary war. Was that the only war? No. They fought all kinds of French and Indian War, War of 1812, all kinds of skirmishes up and down. And then, and then listen, they fought, listen, they fought a civil war in our country over this because those inalienable rights from the past were still bringing truth to bear in the future. And so I just wanna put a date in front of you. Some of you know this date, some of you may not. June 19th, it's coming up here in just a few weeks. June 19th, 1865. Somebody already gave me an amen. That's called Juneteenth. It's on your calendar. If you've got an iPhone, you're like, what in the world is that? It was the date that the very last African-American slave stepped into their freedom 
as a known emancipated human being because there was truth from the past, the word of God, that came to bear on the future of this nation. And this nation made the decision and fought and sacrificed and said, there is no difference in male and female. There is no difference in ethnicity. We have all been created in the image of God the creator and every single human being from every single background ought to be able to enjoy that freedom and we're willing to give our lives for it. Can I get an amen? That's what it's about. That's a real practical example of bringing the kingdom of God to right here and now. And so I just wanna let you know this church, some of you already know this, but we are going to celebrate Juneteenth here at New Spring Church. It's a night of freedom. And listen, I want you to catch this. Don't turn me off, please. This is not a political thing. This is a kingdom of God thing. This is not right or left. I wanna say it just as plainly as I can say it. Juneteenth is not a woke holiday. It is a kingdom of God celebrating that the freedom that Jesus Christ purchased for us is being experienced by men and women all over in our nation. That that thing that Jesus told us to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we're not just gonna pray that prayer, we're actually gonna let it change our head and our heart and our hands. This is just one example of one of the ways that we bring the kingdom right here to our world. So you're gonna feel this. And if you're in Anderson, Columbia, or Charleston, we're gonna have a night where we celebrate Ephesians 5. The one who the sun set free is free indeed. And we're gonna worship and we're gonna celebrate because there's still more of God's promises that we're called to bring to bear right here and now. And we're called to do it together. And I want you to be a part of it. So you have to identify, you have to find your passion. You've gotta find it. So can I give you some homework questions as we wrap up our time? I want you to do this. All right, here's how you can find it. Here's some conversation starters for you and your wife or you and your men's group or you and your fuse group, all right? Number one homework question. What has God made me to be passionate about? What has he made me to be passionate about? What makes you cry? What makes you angry? What makes you excited to sacrifice? You know, that word passion, there's a place we all as Christians have heard about it. It's called the passion of the Christ. One of the best ways to understand your passion is understanding what you'd be willing to bleed over. Jesus was passionate about your salvation and mine. He was willing to give his life for it. You're not passionate for something just because you say it. You're not passionate because you yell about it. You're passionate when you sacrifice for it. You're passionate for it when you're willing to bleed over it. What are you you made to be passionate about? Question number two, am I using my passion to advance God's purpose? Or is my passion really about making me money? Or is my, listen, is my passion about making my name great? Is my, is my, is my passion out from under the purpose of God? I just, this is a great opportunity. This happens to all of us. If your, if your passion becomes your purpose, you will ultimately end up miserable. Let me say it again. If your personal passion becomes your purpose, you will end up becoming miserable. Your passion was given to you that you might through it glorify the purpose of God, the glory of God. That's where your joy is found. That's why more than likely you're passionate. Your passion won't be about you. Your passion will be about helping others. Your passion will be about helping the next generation. Your passion will be about getting a product that's better so that people can live life in a more efficient way and it'll be ultimately a way you can glorify God. One of the very finest examples of someone's passion submitted to God's purpose that I've ever experienced, this is gonna blow your mind, you ready? 
was an HVAC company. I know that sounds crazy, but I'm telling you, one of my favorite moments as a pastor at New Spring Church was having my air conditioning unit locked down. Y'all know that feeling? And I had to call the HVAC company and, and I, I just got them recommended. I, I knew them, but I didn't really know them. They show up at my house and this gentleman who worked on my HVAC, all he did was talk about the goodness of God. All he did was talk about and, and do an excellent job, do excellent work, do it at a fair price. And he did it in such a way that he glorified God through it all. And I was like, whoa, I wish that, that, that could be caught by every man and woman in New Spring Church, that your passion and purpose doesn't need to necessarily be to be a preacher on a stage or to be a worship leader. It may be to be a great fifth grade teacher, an incredible HVAC business owner, someone who does work in the community because that is how the kingdom of God advances. What you do on a Wednesday at 11 a.m. is as sacred as what you're doing this morning on a Sunday. Catch this. This is how you're gonna change diapers with some incredible passion. This is how you're gonna wash that car this summer with some incredible passion. This is how you're gonna to go to work and not just work a J-O-B, but know that that's the place that God has called you even though it's difficult to use your passion to point to God's purpose and to ultimately tell your boss or your coworkers about Jesus Christ. You gotta catch this. Third and final one and I'm done. Am I using my passion to advance God's purpose? That was number two. The third and final question is this. I want you to catch, have I invited God to make my career about his kingdom? We'll give you a word. Have you kingdomized your career? Have you kingdomized your career? You can talk about this this week. How do you, you listen, if you're in college, how do you take what you're majoring in and kingdomize it? If you're, if you're retired, your job is to not just play golf. That's awesome. Maybe you can play golf to the glory of God. Kingdomize your golf round. Kingdomize your retirement. Kingdomize whatever it is you're doing. Make sure you understand that God's given you a passion for his purpose that you and I might build the kingdom. You are going to, listen, you're going to show people what Jesus Christ doing, whatever your job is, looks like. That's what it is to kingdomize. Show your football team, middle school football coach, what it is to be a football coach, but what it, what it would look like for Jesus Christ to be their eighth grade football coach. Show your, I don't know, your accounting firm. Maybe you're an accountant. You've been busy in this season. Why don't you show everybody what it is if Jesus Christ was to be an accountant? That's why Paul wrote in whatever you do, in whatever you eat and drink, in the most basic things in life, do it all for the glory of God. That's our job. I wanna invite you to your feet on all of our campuses and we're gonna step into a time of worship and prayer. But I hope this has been helpful and I hope you'll be here next week to hear from your campus pastor. They're gonna give you some specifics. But man, I want you to know, here's the, the say it in a sentence statement. Your passion, purified by prayer, submitted to God's purpose is powerful. Would you say that out loud with me one more time? Your passion, purified by prayer, submitted to God's purpose is powerful. Personalize it. Let's say my. My passion, purified by prayer, submitted to God's purpose, is powerful. Let's pray. Father God, would you let this truth ring down deep in all of our hearts? Lord, would you break off apathy from all of our lives? It is so simple and easy. We all do it. We all fall into 
just going through the motions, just living paycheck to paycheck, just getting through one season, just trudging ahead? Would you break off apathy from your church in the name of Jesus? Would you, would you stir up deep passion? And God, as we, as we worship and we respond now on all of our campuses, would you, Lord, over these next several weeks, do the same kind of miraculous thing you did in and through Nehemiah? You accomplish some of your kingdom coming, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. For your glory, our joy, the world's good. In Christ's name we pray, amen.